Trials and persecution are part of the Christian life that we often don't want to talk about. But the reality is that Jesus told us they would come. But we are given guidance throughout the scripture on how to deal with these times. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Caston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich discusses how we respond to persecution with respect to others, even those responsible. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, A Life of Redirection, from 1 Peter chapter 3. It's good to be in the Lord's house with you guys this morning as we open up his word and see what he has to say to us. So as I said, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 18 this morning. 8 through 18. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you your good conversation in Christ. For it is, for it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, and the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this time we have gathered together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to lift your name in praise and worship. And Lord, now as we step into your word, we just ask, Lord, that you help us to open our hearts and minds and be prepared for the truth that you want us to hear today. Lord, just help us to soak in the, the, the words that we hear, that they might bear fruit in our lives, Lord, then we might, in doing so, glorify you. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to stand here today, but I just ask that you take me and use me as your instrument. And Lord, just take away anything that could in any way interfere with the message. It's pride, selfishness, distraction, whatever it might be. Take it all away that I might be filled with your spirit and speak only the words that you've given me. And Lord, as a church, help us to continue to look for your answers, to strive to go forward, to be the church that you have called us to be, to fulfill the role that you have called us to be. And as individuals, help us to see opportunities to share the gospel in this lost and dying world that we live in. Lord, we know from the things that are happening around the world that our time is drawing near, that the time is short and the field is white with the harvest. And Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've spoken a lot of times in the past about persecution and suffering. And in those cases, we typically looked at it from the perspective of how to endure it biblically, 
uh, or how we can grow in that suffering. But while all of that information is useful and certainly scriptural, we need to understand that there's yet another layer to those times in our lives where we go through a difficult period. Uh, we've got to consider the behavior from the framework of God's participation and his expectations, particularly of how we interact with other people during these circumstances. The context of our verses this morning uh, seems to flow from the previous chapter uh, where Peter addressed other forms of trials to here where persecution comes in the form of injustice. Peter is talking here about times where we are persecuted unjustly. Not because of our own actions for doing wrong, but rather for doing right. Now, if you haven't noticed, believers in the world today are facing injustice on a regular and increasingly regular basis. Our free speech, our ability to express, express our faith freely, without any fear of kind of blowback or uh, reper uh, repercussions in public spaces, is certainly seeing an attack. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard of Greg Laurie. I've talked about this before, but this is particularly poignant with uh, the change that we're seeing in the public view of our faith. But Greg Laurie holds crusades, and he does these crusades called the SoCal Harvest. Um, it's a crusade very much along the lines of what Billy Graham used to do, where it has music and a lot of preaching. And the whole point is to get people to come and bring them before the gospel so that they might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as you'd expect, you know, when they're building up to these things, they are, are, have to advertise, obviously, because they want to draw people into these uh, events. And leading up to this, they usually have billboards and posters and large banners and such throughout the area. And this was in Southern California several years ago. Uh, this wasn't this year. This was probably about three years ago. <clears throat> so this is what the sign that he had put up looked like. Okay. This is advertised their, uh, their, their event. Seemingly innocuous. As you, if you look at it, you think, okay, no big deal. They've got the list of the musicians. They've got Greg Laurie there holding up his Bible and the dates and such. Seemingly completely harmless. Well, apparently at malls in Fashion Island, Orange County, California, after already being up for two weeks, the Irvine Company, the company that was contracted to put these signs up, notified the harvest which was Greg Laurie's organization, and told church officials that the artwork on their banner would have to be changed to include non-offensive images because they had received complaints and death threats regarding the ads. This was deemed an offensive image. And you know what the part that they deemed offensive was? This right here. The Bible being held up. They were told the artwork on their banner would have to be changed in, to include non-offensive images because of the complaints they'd received. Ultimately, despite agreeing to do so in the hopes of still bringing attention to the event, Harvest was notified the signs had been taken down and their money was refunded. So we clearly see that today our faith is under attack. 
We are persecuted for the simple fact that we subscribe to a Bible that we know as God's Word and other people who don't like it will persecute us as a result of that. Now it's clear the world we live in today is becoming less and less tolerant of our Christian beliefs and our rights to express that in public. To think that the simple depiction of a book that has existed for thousands of years, that is the, by far the best-selling book in any category, and just because they assume it was the Bible, would be offensive enough for people to elicit death threats to the company that put the sign up is a clear sign of the times that we live in. But this thinking inevitably has and will more so flow into positions of authority in our nations, in our states, in our counties, and even in our cities. These attitudes aren't going to just simply be some, some, some radical group off to the side that, that's raising a stink about it. We're actually seeing these attitudes evolve into leadership positions in our countries, states, and cities. In some cases, we've already seen it, but we'll continue to grow. It'll continue to become more prominent, more frequent. So Peter, in our verses this morning, gives us some insight into some things that God wants us to keep in mind. Things that he wants us to do when we find ourselves in those places where we are being persecuted. Now it's interesting that these verses follow others that discuss the role of the husband and wife and the ways they uniquely express submission in their behaviors that honors one and another. Because it's the same theme of submission rolls in our verses this morning. Submission from our perspective. So let's take a look now at what God is telling us from his word and what we are to do in these circumstances. And the first thing that God tells us through his word about these times in our lives is that we are expected to still, still be a blessing to others in these times of persecution. Peter begins his exhortation by calling for the believers in the church to, to come together. It's sort of a, when you think of it from this perspective, think of it as a, a rallying or a, a gathering of the troops, so to speak. But in the sense that by drawing closer to one another, by strengthening the bonds between one another, by respecting and loving one another, we uplift, we encourage, we edify each other under these circumstances. Now, this might kind of seem out of place when you think about it, given the command. In the following verse, to be a blessing to those that are responsible for the difficulties that we face. But it makes sense when you think about it in that context, actually. We oftentimes can allow these circumstances, when we are under persecution, when we're struggling with something, we tend to withdraw. That discouragement causes us to kind of pull within ourselves, to isolate ourselves, and try to just hunker down and deal with it. And that is exactly what this action we are called to do is meant to undo, so to speak. By reaching out, by gathering together, by lifting one another up, by coming together and, and bonding together as Christians, we are to undo that mindset of, I'm just going to draw within myself and deal with it myself. There's a tremendous boost to one's morale and attitude. When you realize that you're not alone when you're dealing with something difficult in your life. 
when we gather together corporately, whether in a literal physical sense like we are here today or an emotional and spiritual sense as Peter alludes to. <clears throat> we gather strength and encouragement from one another when following the instructions that Peter gives us to deal with it. When we have compassion for one another, when we love one another, when we reach out to one another, when we are being pitiful, as the Bible puts it, and in this context it actually means being tender-hearted and being courteous to one another. We lift one another up when we do these things and let them know, hey, you are not alone. You may be struggling, but brother, sister, I am with you. I'm here for you. So how does this relate to the next command then? Okay, I get it. We, we're supposed to strengthen one another. We're supposed to lift one another up. We're supposed to deal with these circumstances, not individually, but as a group. But how does that relate to what Peter says afterwards? Well, think about it. How easy is it for us to pull ourselves out of our self-proclaimed pity party, so to speak, in order to be a blessing to the very people that are causing us that difficulty? Now, it's not an easy task, mind you. I know when somebody's doing us wrong, when somebody's persecuting us or causing us problems simply because of our faith, that's the last thing we want to do, our natural reaction, the last thing we want to do is to, to reach out to them. But when we stand knowing that we have the whole body of believers in our church standing with us, it makes it easier. Okay, so I'll say I get that, all right. So, but what does it mean exactly when it says that we, that we are called to be a blessing to our detractors? What exactly is Peter talking about when, he, when he's talking about that? Well, to get a better understanding of this, let's look over at Matthew 5.44. Where it says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Well, that's a tall order, isn't it? Love your enemies. How many of us can say we love our enemies? How many of us can say that we pray for people that abuse us? Perhaps because of, most likely because of our faith. How often do we do good to those that hate us? By all of us understanding that this is what's required of us, then when one or more of us face these circumstances, circumstances, we are encouraged to act biblically rather than reacting in our natural, fleshly manner, which is a return right back to them what they have done to us. Now this certainly aligns with what Jesus has proclaimed as the second and greatest, second greatest command of the commandments, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. This aligns perfectly with that. Note that there's 
no condition? Look in this verse. See, do we see anywhere in this verse where it says, um, under these circumstances, you're supposed to love your enemies? Or under these circumstances, you do good that hate you. Only on this, on this particular circumstance are you to pray for it. No, there's no, none of that is in there. These are very direct, specific commands. No qualifier. And nothing saying about what kind of neighbor this applies to. Remember whom we represent in our day. Remember who we are reflecting to other people who know of our faith. And understand that it's no accident that we find ourselves there. And that brings us to the second thing that we need to learn from Peter, the verses that Peter has for us. And that is that God is intimately involved in our struggles. God is intimately involved in our struggles. Peter's statement that ye are thereunto called tells us that not only are we called to respond in a certain way, but that this also makes it clear that we are called to be in those circumstances. God has placed us in those circumstances. This is not happenstance. It's not random. This is not bad luck. This is God ordaining that we are placed in these circumstances. And this follows our initial calling out of the world when we become followers of Jesus Christ. In our sanctification or separation from the world, we are to become followers of Jesus Christ, we, it being in the world, but not of it. We are to become peculiar, different than the rest of it. We set ourselves up as being identified with him, unmistakably, unashamedly. And in doing so, very often, we will incur the backlash of a world that is hostile to our holy and righteous God. Now that's all well and good, you might say. But then what happens when the persecution and injustice comes our way? Where's God then? When we are suffering, when we're being persecuted and we're struggling. Well, let's go back to what Peter says about this. Go back to our verses this morning where he says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now I want you to grasp the imagery going on here. Our Heavenly Father is sitting up on his throne, gazing down lovingly on us, <clears throat> waiting, even longing, to hear our prayers, to hear us calling out to him in our time of need. And at the same time, looking down with wrath on those who have wronged us. It makes us feel him drawing close to us, standing with us. And that's a, that is an encouragement. When we envision God smiling on us, but, ga but uh, glaring at those who have caused us the problems... We suddenly draw a different feeling from that in that we know that God is on our side. We must always keep in mind, too, that we are never, ever in any situation that God has not allowed. And sometimes that is certainly the result of us being rebellious in our actions. 
If we are in a difficult situation, sometimes it's our own doing. But even then, it's still God's will. Our God directs our paths, controls our circumstances in accordance with his goodwill and our benefit. Remember how it, what it says in Romans, that all of these things that God puts us through are for our good, our benefit. It may not seem like it, not by a long shot, because we don't have the vision that God does. He is omniscient. He sees everything. But understand that God has all things working to good of his people. We are never out of his reach, out of his mind, or out of his control. We are always in those three parts of his existence and his actions. And because of this, we need to live in a way that reflects this. So that it follows that even in these circumstances, that God instructs us to maintain our walk of faith. Peppered throughout all these verses that Peter is talking about here, in these exhortations, uh, and ultimately from God, to main, is to maintain our walk of faith. He's not saying, okay, you can back off a little bit, you can hide your faith a little, kind of ease the, 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 the persecution. No, he's saying, maintain your walk of faith. Now, go back to what Peter said, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. This is very important on many levels. But I want to look at two primarily. The first has to do with the fact that it is a reflection of the maturity of our faith in how we respond to this. When we face turbulent times, our fleshy reactions is to go on our little pity parties, get down in the dumps and pout. Oh, woe is me. Why do I have to go through this? And then we begin to think somehow we've been wronged. That we don't deserve this. That this is, this is really uncalled for. And when we begin to think that it is a wrong thing for us to have to go through these times, we are implying either directly or indirectly that God is somehow messed up and he's not dealing with us fairly. When this kind of thinking begins, then it naturally turns our hearts away from an obedience acceptance mindset over to a rebellious and a resistance one, resistant one. And the natural progression to this is, well, if God is not going to be fair with me, then why should I continue to do justly, in our minds that is, for him? And then suddenly now our faith walk begins to waver, either through neglect of the things that we do to sustain and nurture our relationship with him, or through outright sin and rebellion. We tend to lash out as if our, <clears throat> in our actions, as if our relationship with him is based on conditional obedience and adherence to his word. This is so far away from how we are supposed to be in those cases. Understanding that we are called to be, called to suffer and suffer trials in, as a believer. 
This is in part what Peter alluded to later in chapter 4 when he said in 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Peter's saying, look, this is not unexpected. Don't look at this and say, well, wait a minute, where did this come from? Peter's saying this is part of living as a believer. When one becomes a follower of Christ, we are told to count the cost. And in doing so, we understand that these kinds of things are going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But what is key is how we respond to this. And this is the other point that I want to get to. We are called to be ambassadors for the Lord. This not only means that we are to be his voice in this world, telling others the good news of his salvation, but it also means that we are to reflect him in our day-to-day -day lives. We are to live in such a way that we prompt others to curiosity about the God we serve. The outward expression and reflection of our faith and confidence in God, particularly in times that we find challenging, is a huge part of that. This is what Peter was talking about when he said, And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter's saying, this is the way you act. And it's such a, a contrast to what people would expect when they ask you, what is it that sustains you? What is it that makes you act so differently? Then be ready to answer them. Be ready to tell them about your faith. Be ready to tell them about the God that rises and that has allowed you to rise above your circumstances. And what is the hope that Paul, Peter refers to? That asks you a reason of what? The hope. That hope of an eternity in Christ Jesus. The knowledge of the things that we have spoken of earlier that give us the confidence of that trial in our life. The reality of knowing that while we may suffer injustice and persecution in this life, we are encouraged by the truth of Christ's ultimate victory over this world of injustice and sin and the reality that we will partake in that same victory in time. This is the hope that Peter is talking about. But you know what? There's yet a greater truth of Christ's ultimate victory over this world of injustice and sin. A greater truth and benefit to why we should maintain our faith and walk in such a way to invoke curiosity from the unbelievers. And that brings us to our final point, and that is that God expects us to use these times to point others to him. God expects us to use these difficult trials, persecutions, to point others to him. The ultimate summation of, our, of what we have touched on today, and even more so, our entire lives, is that we are to point others to Jesus Christ. It is the reason that we exist. It is the reason for which we are saved, to honor and to glorify the holy, mighty, wonderful God to whom we owe everything. Now, if you were careful in reading those verses that we read this morning, you will note something that he said that was tucked in with everything else that pretty much reminds us 
of a very important fact that we should keep in mind when we feel that we have been dealt with unjustly in our life. And while, yes, we are called his own, and we are reminded that the unjust will be dealt with in time, take a close look at verse 18 again. I don't know if I have that on here. Yeah, I do. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We have got to remind ourselves when we are feeling like we're being unjustly dealt with in persecution, that Jesus hung on that cross for the very ones we see reviling him, rebelling against every aspect of his existence in society. It's easy for us to get lulled into a false sense of bravado, having already drawn, been drawn to salvation and embracing it, that somehow we can clearly draw lines between us and those who believe and them who do not. But the reality is that Christ died for everybody. He died for those who call him Lord, and yes, he died for those that call him by names that make us recoil in horror. Yeah, he even died for those who demanded and made death threats over a simple fact that there was a Bible in an advertisement. But most importantly, Christ died for you. Jesus went to the cross and Peter reinforces it in these verses. When we talk about the persecution and everything, that Christ suffered for the just for our sins, the just for the unjust. This term, the just for the unjust, refers to everybody across the board. We are all unjust. There is not a single person in this world that can say, well, Jesus didn't die for my sins because I am justified. I am just in and of myself. No. Jesus was the only one justified. Jesus was the only one righteous. Jesus was the only one good and clean and perfect that could be offered as a sacrifice for our sins. <clears throat> Everybody else was the reason he was on that cross. The reason he had to go to that cross and pay that price. He didn't have to go there for himself. He chose to go there for you and me. He chose to go there to pay the price for your sins and mine. And there is nothing that you have done in your life that is too great for God's forgiveness. And that is the beauty of it, that all sin is covered by the grace of God. But that's only applicable if you're willing to accept what he's done. It's only applicable if you're willing to call upon him as your Lord and Savior. So what's to stop you from doing that today? What's to stop from confessing your sins before God? Accepting that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again three days later in victory over sin and death. 
and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why not accept him as your Lord and Savior today? And even in times of difficulty and persecution of the days to come, we can rise above it in knowing that he is on our side and he's already taken care of it. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne once again, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for your word, Lord, and the truths that it provides for us. Lord, just help us to be reminded of these words of Peter as we go through our lives and face the hostility and the persecution that comes our way as a result of our faith in you and our, our boldness in proclaiming our faith in you. Help us to stand firm. Help us to stand true that we might always be a, a beacon that draws people towards you by our response to the persecution, <clears throat> that you might be glorified in all of it. And Lord, we love you and praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and Beyond Pod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church Space Hyphen Space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return. Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at ProvidenceNBCGaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.